Very fun episode coming up with actress Rusty Schwimmer. She is here to promote the re-release of her film Scrooge and Marley. It's a take on the cr classic Christmas tale. Plus, we're going to talk all about her whole amazing career and the films she's done, including The Perfect Storm and Amistad. She tells me her Carol Burnett story. We talk music and so much more. Stay right there. I feel like I have like one of those Vaseline lenses thing. Yes. Like, like Sybil Shepherd did. I don't. I swear to God, I don't. It's oh, okay. Just, Is that what Sybil Shepherd did? I, I don't know about that. Yeah. During moonlighting, they put like the Vaseline on the lens and yeah. Oh. And, like, was it... Make her like, you know, uh, I guess smoother. Yeah. Oh, see, you probably have all sorts of cool stories and facts <laughs> like that. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. How are you, Chuck? I'm I'm great. How are you? I'm doing I'm, well, I'm doing a little bit of a deep dive into your career. It's pretty exciting. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, right. I watched I watched uh, the Scrooge and Marley movie last night, and I also watched your I wanted to see the one where you were a lead in Wild Honey. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> you won an award for that. Yes. Yes, I won a couple of awards for it. It's it was lovely. I, I think Newport uh, Film Festival and Williams film festival both on different you know sides of the country so yeah it was a lot of fun to do that one a lot yeah, yeah. it's underrated i feel like because i had never heard of it and then i saw it and i was like oh this is like really good the whole the whole cast does a great job and thank you yeah uh, frank uh francis stokes the writer director he and i had worked on a couple of things together and he uh he said to me one time, hey, I would love to see your energy more on film. I never get to see your energy as much on film. And I want to write something for you. And I said, oh, sure, sure. Go ahead. Right over. Whatever. And I'm thinking he's not going to write it. And then three months later, there was a script in my email. And and that's how it started. And I went, wow, OK, I'll do more of what's more me. Than the, you know, the blue collar chick with the heart of gold who tells it like it is, you know, uh, um, you know, usually more snarky than my actual bubbly self. So he wanted more of me in a movie. Is Not it, that I'm a phone sex operator, but. Yeah. So is it awkward playing that? Like, did you have to research that role? Did you listen to some other people do it? Or like, how do you, it's got to be kind of uncomfortable to, to do that in front of a crew and everything. And Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there were a few times when he was like, okay, pretend to do the orgasm. I was like, yeah, well, not so much. Okay, let's try it. But <laughs> um, uh, I had a friend uh back in the day who actually did phone sex and we were roommates at the time. So she'd come back and tell me oh. what was going on and she would work Christmas, which to me was the saddest thing in the world. Yeah, that is sad. Wow. Yeah. Cause then guys, that's sad for the guy too. He's calling, he's that lonely. You think, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was really sad. And so a few of them just wanted to talk. So in a way that was really interesting to hear a lonely guy, just like the guy in the movie who just right. wants to talk. So yeah, and we don't want to give it away, but yeah, there's like some twists in the like. I didn't know how it was going to end. I was like, I don't know who she's going to end up with, or I thought maybe you were just going to end up alone. That was my theory, but then it was like, no, there's a little twist. So it's well, cool. Ish, ish, alone, ish, right? 
Yeah. She found her happiness even without a guy, right? Uh, and so, yeah, you'll see. You'll see yeah. if, you, if you, it's on Amazon as is Scrooge and Marley. Look at that. Yeah. So Scrooge yeah. and Marley, yeah. So I'm confused about this because I was looking and I was like, I don't see this on your IMDb. And then I looked and I was like, wait, this this came out like 2012 or something, right? Yeah. So this is the 10th anniversary. And they decided to release this uh, because the times have changed so much. 10 years ago, the, A Christmas Carol from a gay perspective was not usual. And now we just had bros come out. Uh, and, and that's a, a, a rom-com from a gay perspective. And now it's kind of a non-issue. But when we were shooting it, it kind of was a little taboo, a little bit. So uh, I think that's, they're now streaming it 10 years later. And I think it's adorable because um, I think that we need this. We need this uh, now that our world is, is, coming out, pun intended, uh, <laughs> coming out into the world and saying, hey, it can be done anyway. Like Dickens, like Shakespeare, is timeless. So, you know, why not see A Christmas Carol through the hip hop perspective? Or, you know, so <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like that. I thought that it's was such a Exactly. It's such a good story. Like, I don't think you can screw it up. You could do it any which way. And it's like, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, this is the story. Like you, you kind of know how it's going to end, but it's still, it's great. And the acting is great. And you got, you got Bruce Valanche, uh, Valanche, Valanche. Valanche. Yeah. Valanche, yeah. Hilarious. Like, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so is, great. Is every, is like a majority of the cast gay? Is yeah. That, the majority okay. is. I, of course, um, at the premiere 10 years ago, um, he outed me as a heterosexual. And so <laughs> I had to say, yes, fine. I'm coming out, out of the closet as a heterosexual, you know? So um, it, uh, it's, it's kind of, it was really neat because I think there were only two or three of us that were not queer. And so um, I felt, um, what's the word? I, I, I felt honored to be part of it. Um, uh, Richard Knight, who is the co-writer, co-director, he and I have been friends forever. We were club kids back in the day in Chicago where we were uh, working at nightclubs uh, as performance artists. And we stayed friends all these years. I come back to Chicago and he says, I'm going to do this movie. And I said, sign me up. So that's how it started. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's, it's just such a, such a great uh tale i love the have you seen you've seen obviously the bill murray scrooge too like that's yeah. another one that's like scrooged, I scrooged. Think. yeah yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. many of uh, I, I guess i need to go back and see the original because i think isn't there an original like black and white yes yeah yes there's two originals that are black and white i'm trying to remember it's too bad richard's not here because he knows he's such a cinephile he knows uh all of the different uh christmas carols and there was one that i love so much that was probably the oldest one. Um, and so uh, go and see that. That's good. And it's dark. Mm -hmm. Very Dickensian. Very Dickensian. Yeah. You just, you love to see that character change the arc of them being starting out greedy and terrible person and ending as a good person trying to help the world. It's always nice. Right. To see that. Exactly. Exactly. We dig it. That's, it's like, it's a wonderful life. It's like, we need those in the world. Right. 
Yeah. So good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Sorry. I'm fiddling with something here. Yeah. No, it's funny. Yeah. Like it, it reminds me though. Like, uh, did you see, did you see the new Dahmer series? No, I'm too much of a wuss. I just thought that was interesting though. It reminded me that because, so they put that one in the LG, uh, LGBTQ. Oh, is that, I hope I said that right. LGBTQA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh They put it in that category and then people were like, well, no, we don't want, we don't want him in that. We don't want that in that category. So then they removed it from that category. I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Cause that's kind of interesting. From the fact that I am friends of the gays, um, there is this, um, I think that the biggest issue that a lot of my friends said, and this is just one of their, one of their opinions, is that this was more triggering to them because when this was happening, they knew that not only gay, uh, you know, because he was picking them up in gay bars, yeah. but not only were they gay, but they were also usually black. And so it was like, marginalized like there was no tomorrow and this was also happening in Chicago so I have a few friends that knew who he was so I think they were like we don't want to own this because this was this was a trauma to us right we were all freaking out who was next who is this dude you know and so um I think that that's probably why they took it off yeah that makes sense yeah 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 but so you're, you're friends with a lot of gay people. So do they seek that stuff out? Do they go to like Netflix and they look at that like category and then look? Okay. And the reason they go to that category is because they want to see something that are more like that more represents them. They don't have to substitute and say, oh, I want to see this love story. Well, I, I you know, a, a, a guy friend of mine would say I, I would have to substitute another guy instead of the girl, you mm. know, and I didn't want to see her lady parts. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't excite me, you know? Right. So, uh, uh, so it's really interesting. And I think that that's why Hallmark is coming out with more gay storylines because they're understanding that your sexuality doesn't mean that you're a pervert. It just means you prefer somebody else that's not mainstream to you. Right. And everybody wants love. It's not about sex. It's about love. Right. And that's kind of why I also loved Scrooge and Marley, because it was a love story, too. You know, not between Scrooge and Marley. They were business partners, but, you know, other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah. Your, your story is so fascinating to me. Like, uh, I mean, just how many your your career is so prolific. I, I think I counted 134 acting credits on IMDb. That's insane. <laughs> you know, if you live long enough and, and you keep going and you, as I say to uh, a lot of people, if you keep chopping the wood, don't look at the pile, just keep chopping the wood, you know, and uh, I've been enjoying myself so much. It's, it's been amazing. Yeah. But so you wanted to be an actress since you were a little kid, but you didn't start acting school until 18. That's correct. Oh, wow. You did a deep dive. Yeah. I was doing shows in, in high school and in our, and the high school I went to was very theater heavy and they had funding for, to, to have good teachers and good stuff. So I was lucky. I mean, we were playing to 1600 people. Our auditorium had 1600 people. So it was almost as if like, ah, Broadway ain't shit. You know, Oh, am I, I can't swear. You can swear. You can fucking swear. I don't, I don't get it. Fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good okay. thing about podcasts. Yeah. I don't have any audience, but you could swear. You can do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, uh, yeah. So I start. I started from a very early age, but I was more of a little sporto for a long, long time. Um, played tennis and softball, and uh, but uh, I always wanted to be an actress. That's all I ever wanted to do. Carol Burnett was is my idol. And so, oh, she's yeah. great. She's amazing. She's amazing. Did you? Oh, I was going to say, because you were on Better Call Saul, but not her episode. Here's a good story. Ooh. First time. Um, so she's so much of an idol of mine that I refuse to meet her because I know that I'll lose it and I can't handle it. And I said, the only way I can meet her is if I work with her. This is all I can do, you know, otherwise. And I've had a chance a few times and I said, no, I can't. I can't. I panic because I talk about her and this is probably going to be those times where I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry because she is everything to me. Um, she showed me that you could be down to earth, kind, and still affect people's lives. You don't have to be this mystery. You don't have to be this movie star. You don't have to look a certain way, but she showed me that you could do that. And when she showed me that I could do that, then I could be an actress and that she could be so funny and then be, devastating turn on a dime and be devastating so she was everything so that being said I uh, the driver picks me up um, in New Mexico where they film and uh, so we start talking this and that he's an ex-cop really intense dude I was doing another movie where I play an ex-cop so I was asking him questions <laughs> and um, and, uh, he said, well, you know, they also use me for security. A lot of times I just dropped somebody off right now that I had to do security detail and she's doing the show. And of course we had to sign an NDA within an inch of our, I mean, like everything. So at the time I couldn't say anything to anyone after this. And he said, I just dropped off Carol Burnett. She was sitting exactly where you were sitting. And I burst into tears. Oh just my God. Burst into tears. I was like, really? She's sitting right here? Okay. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry you missed her. I go, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm crying because I'm in her vibe. I'm in her world, you know? And um, he said, yeah, most people, there were a lot of people where we'd be out to dinner and people would burst into tears when they saw her. So you're, 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 you're okay. You know, I was like, Wow, that's I that... thought I was, you know, a fool uh, for doing that. But he said, no, most people have that reaction with her. That must be so weird for her. I heard Tom Petty never wants to go out to dinner or he didn't, uh, you know, obviously yeah. passed away, but he never went out to dinner because he would, people would give him all this attention and it made him really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely for people that are iconic like that. I mean, the things that I get most of the time is the person going, hey, are you going to be at the church picnic? And I'm like, what church? And they're like, oh, I thought you went to my church. God, you just look so familiar. You know, it's that kind of thing. Oh, you don't get recognized for like Perfect Storm or any of those things? Like Once in a while I get recognized. But for the most part, people just think they know me from somewhere. And I love Ooh. that because that means I'm doing my job, you know. But do you like it when they say, when they call you out for a movie or TV show? Uh, at first, I'm a little uncomfortable, a little bit little bit and then i realized oh my god they're paying me a nice compliment rusty be nice you know don't be overwhelmed you know and so I, because it it it's it's uh you know you're minding your own business you forget that your job is public sometimes right that's, that's all. true 
That's yeah. good. Yeah. So when, before you like, get, you know, went off into this amazing acting career, was there people that were like naysayers? Do you have people that tell you that you would never make it and uh, don't try to do that? And Oh yeah. And most of them were people I didn't know. <laughs> so your family and friends were all real supportive. They knew. They just knew. They, I mean, I, I got really lucky Chuck on that. I really did. My family is everything to me. Um, and they were so supportive. I have three sisters and they're the coolest, most fantastic people that I think I'd be friends with, even if they weren't my family. And, um, my mom and my dad were always very supportive. And, um, I went to college to pretend I wasn't going to be an actor. Uh, and it turned out to be my actual gap year. <laughs> my one year of college was gap year. And I came back and I told my parents, I can't do this. I got to go and be an actor. And my mom actually said these words. It's about fucking time. <laughs> wow. I love yeah. that. That is yeah. amazing. That's mom of the year right there. I love it. Totally. So where were you when you were a waitress and you waited on Henry Winkler? Because that's how you got your first break, right? Yes, sir. Oh, you're good. You're good. Um, Hen uh, Henry, uh, I was at Ed DeBevix in Beverly Hills. And Ed DeBevix was this 50s diner. And they had one in Chicago. And they were opening one up in L.A. And so then I could move and have a job like the Midwesterner that I am. I'm like, well, I have to have a job, you know, before I move. And... Um, I was working at Ed DeBevix and I was doing my Chicago accent, you know, pretending that I was Ed DeBevix's sister, Rusty DeBevick, you know, and uh, I'm here in this, you know, hoo-ha, little fancy pants, Beverly Hills here, you know, and at the 50s diner, you were kind of rude to the customers. And so you would just right. sit down with them and you'd be like, hi, honey, what are you going to have? I ain't got all day. You want to have those fries? You're going <laughs> to eat those? I got that, you know? And so um, I... <laughs> Sat down with Henry. His kids had red hair and I'd always go up to other kids with red hair and I'd be like, you know, hey, eh, we're in this club. Right. And so being at Ed DeBevick's, I could say whatever I wanted to say. Our management would let us. And I said, you know, without swearing and things like that. But I said to his kids, I said, you know, don't let anybody tell you that you're a freak. You're special. In fact, you are superior to everybody else. So I'm just saying, you know, and I, I was like kidding around with them. Did and you know it was Henry Winkler too? You recognize? Yes, okay. I totally knew it was Henry. And Winkler. that didn't like freak you out at all. Like you're just used to having big stars in that place. You know, I got lucky. I, if you've done a deep dive, you know who my best friend is growing up. Virginia Madsen. Yes, exactly. And so I had a few years where she'd be like, Hey, I'm having a party. Come to LA and hang out with me and my friends. And I'd be there and it'd be like the brat pack. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. So I kind of got used to it. You know, that I realized wow. that they were humans. So I was kind of that person, that go-to person that was like taking care of the celebrities in the late eighties, because I'd be like, hi, honey, how you doing? All right. What are you going to have? No, you don't want that. that. That's not good. Have the, the have the cheeseburger. That's much better. You know, I mean, I do stuff like that. So they kind of like to have me take care of them because I didn't go, you know. And um, so Henry said to me, you know, are you an actress? And I said, no, honey, I've been in the plumbing business for seven years. <laughs> you know, 
like everybody had, it was an actor that was working yeah. there, you know? And so then he said, well, do you have a headshot and resume? And immediately I was like, yes, yes, I do. Like I went, I like <laughs> you dropped character. character. Yeah. Completely broke character. You know, <laughs> he was nice enough to give me a part in um, memories of me, even though my audition was horrible. I was so nervous. Um, he still put me in, gave me my SAG card and little by little by little it it went there. And now, you know, he and I talk through our friend, um, Stephen Root, who's, you know, in Barry with him. And that's, yeah, that's the guy from Office Space too. That yes. guy's a million things, news radio. like Yeah, yeah, he's the greatest. He's the greatest, a good friend of mine. And um, so he... Uh, he and Henry, you know, they, he always gives me messages and Henry and I were supposed to see each other at Stephen's birthday party, but he had to go somewhere that night. So I didn't get to see him, but um, we're still in touch in a way through other people. So it's lovely. That's yeah. really cool. So yeah. what, now you did a, sh I saw this, like you did a short, obviously this turned into Boogie Nights, the Dirk Diggler story. You yes. played Candy Cane or, or something like that. Now, was that uh, before the memories of me or after? Before. Okay. And that so was, you had, you're working with PT Anderson, like back he when was he was 17, Paul, Paul was 17 years old. Wow. Came into Ed DeBevix with Kelly Conway, who I've worked on a commercial with and Kelly Conway was Tim Conway's daughter. So you can imagine how freaked out I was because Tim Conway was on the Carol Burnett Carol show. Burnett, yeah. So I was like, what, you know, and uh, Kelly, I knew, and she brought in this kid who I thought was like 14, but he was 17. He was just a late bloomer, you know? And he said, you know, I'm doing this movie. You want to be in this movie? And I was like, and at that point I was like, I need some tape on myself. I've only done stage in Chicago and a couple of commercials here in LA. What, you know, and the rest is history. Yeah. I haven't good. seen that. Is there, can I find that on YouTube or something that? Oh, yeah, you'll cool. see my 25-year-old self, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then they didn't cast you in the Boogie Nights. <laughs> no, I think that wasn't right. But that. you got like a special thanks or something like that. I know, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I got a special thanks. Someone told me, hey, you were thanked in this movie. And I was like, what is this movie? And they said, Boogie Nights. And I was like, what is that? And they were like, it's about this guy named Dirk Diggler. And I was like, Oh, because I it was called the Dirk Diggler story when we did it. Yeah. So when and, you see uh, Paul PTN or Paul, whatever he was at 17, could you recognize the genius then? Or did he you just oh really? Wow. Yes. He was way ahead of his time. There he is, a 17-year-old, gives me a short script, and it's about porn industry, but it's a 17-year-old and it's done from an adult perspective. I was like, who's this kid? Why is yeah. he way ahead? He's way ahead. And he was, he said, fuck, you know, film school. I'm going to watch all the laser discs making of, right? <sighs> so that's how he started. Because his dad was a voiceover guy. He was the voice of ABC. Ernie Anderson was his name. Okay. You remember the voice. If you heard his father's voice, you would know immediately that voice. Okay. Up. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had been around all of this stuff forever. And so he was way ahead of all of it. And so ahead 
that while we were hanging out when he, where he grew up in Sherman Oaks, he said, Hey, do you remember that guy that was Beretta? And I said, Robert Blake. Right. And he said, yeah. And he goes, uh, yeah, he lives around the corner. He's kind of like that get off my lawn kind of guy. Maybe we can go there and get aggravated, have him, you know, get, get him, aggravate him to yell at us. So we go over there and he's like, yeah, the guy's really creepy. There's something wrong with him. Years later, you know, we find out Robert Blake, right? Didn't he really He's kill somebody in real life? Huh? Didn't he kill somebody in real life? Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Yeah. They Ooh. never proved it. They never proved it. But yeah, it was it was something along those lines that Paul would, he was just way ahead. He was way ahead, huh. even at 17. And a great, great down-to-earth dude. There's nothing weird about him, you know, just a good dude. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his, like Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Oh, it's like Magnolia, so... amazing movie, right? Yeah, and what's the one? Now I'm I'm blanking Super on the name. Pizza. Yeah, I just saw yeah. that one, and then the the one about uh, uh, oil with uh, oh that guy's. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, there will uh, be blood. Yes, there will be blood. Exactly. And then I've, and I'm spacing on the actor's name. He's so good in that movie. Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh. Yes. Oh, God. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you should try to uh, rekindle that friendship and get in the next P.T. Anderson movie. You know, I'm I'm confident it will come up organically in the way sure. it will come up. You know, it, there's always those things where years later someone, you know, cast me in something and they said, I just remember you from 20 years ago and da-da-da-da-da. And it comes back. So I just let it happen if it does, you know? That's um, good. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome. Well, uh, and you worked with uh, Spielberg, right, on Amistad? Did he yeah. actually direct you or was it like the assistant director or something? Half and half. <laughs> it was half and half, yeah. There would be times where he was editing. I think at the time he was editing Saving Private Ryan, I think. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. I remember that's what he was editing. And there was a scene where, you know, we were doing it and the second, the first AD was directing it. No, the second AD was directing us. Yeah. But he directed me and most of it, you know, Um, good guy, nice guy. It was, it was, it was a blur for me because my mother was dying at the time. And so I was kind of like, "Uh, what are we doing here? You know, Uh, and just waking up to find out what else was happening with my mom when I wasn't there that kind of stuff. So, um, we, he shot a four hour movie and it, you know, then edited down to two and a half hours. I shot 13 scenes and almost all of them, I think all of them were cut out and I was relieved. Really? (laughs) Because all I would have been thinking was, Oh, that's when this happened with my mom. I was filming that. Right. So it would have been just a, almost a home movie of my mother's sickness. You know what I mean? So like bad memories. Yeah. 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 So in a way, I think I was being protected in some strange way, but, huh. um, but I'm in it for just a little bit. So I still get residuals. God love them. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Were you yeah. cut out of a, you did the movie with Chris Farley. Tell, you, tell me you had some sort of story with him. He is no. amazing. I, I don't well, hear oh, enough I stories. A story. Yeah. I did that. Because I wanted to work with Christopher Guest. Oh, he's a legend too. And all I wanted, I didn't care if I was just doing that tiny thing. That's all it was. That's all it was. In fact, I think it was longer than what was on the script. But it's because I wanted to work with Christopher Guest. Because I think he's a genius, right? And Waiting so, for Guffman, so good. Oh my God, hi. You know, amazing, right? 
So I go there and Chris Farley, I think this was what, six months before he died? I think. Probably. Yeah. He had a sober companion with him. He was sober at the time. Oh. Yeah, he was sober at the time. God love him. Um, and he was he was a perfectionist. And I uh, he we did that scene over and over again because I had to spit banana out the whole time. And I remember going, okay, I gotta take another bite of the banana, you know, and it was so hot. We were in the middle of the desert, you know, in August, and I was wearing all that stuff, you know. But uh, watching his process was pretty wild. Um, it was sad to see that he couldn't stay well, you know, that that illness got to the best of him. But I think that if he got sober and he stayed sober and he lived, he probably would have turned out to be a very prolific actor um, with more and more experience of acting. Um and that just makes me sad because I've seen a few people go that I've worked with and it's, it, it's, it's, I don't think that the business made them alcoholics or drug addicts. I think that they brought that in with them mm. and uh, it just kind of sped it up or because it was made public, you know, uh, we see so many go, but that's in the rest of the world too. Uh, but I'm bringing it down now, aren't I? I'm bringing no, it down. no, it's interesting yeah. because it makes you think that like, that's how they, they, they are able to do create such amazing art is from the emotion. Like, I mean, I'm a big guns and roses fan. I mean, I just look at mm. Axl Rose and I'm, you know, his tantrums are very well documented, but I feel like that's how, he, and if you listen, uh, learn about his childhood and stuff, it makes sense why he's so angry, but that's how he created such great music in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, but then you look at other people that are not prone to mental illness or alcoholism or drug addiction are just still very sensitive people sure. that still had really, really shitty childhoods and they figure it out and they've got that feeling. I didn't have a shitty childhood and I still am super sensitive about things, you know. Um, it's just how you're built in a way, you know. I think mm -hmm. that's what it is. But unfortunately, you know, I always joke and say being an actor or being on a set, being a crew member or cast, anybody making a movie or television show or a, a play, um, I call it the land of misfit toys because we're all welcome. Anybody that's a misfit is welcome, you know? And so there's a lot of people that because mental illness is taboo still, they feel welcome because anything goes. Misfit toy, you're good to go. Come on over. Come and play. Well, I love like stories where, I mean, cause there are stories where people get well and they like Robert Downey Jr. I mean, that guy was on the verge of a drug overdose. I don't know how. And then he turned it around total 180. And as far as I know, he's been sober for like what, 20 years or something. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing thing. And, and he's got a support system and he can figure that out. And I, I can't imagine how difficult that is with the schedules that we have, you know, when I know that there's some friends of mine that are sober, that are recovering drug addicts and alcoholics, and the idea of going against a ritual, a routine is really difficult. And when you're on a movie set or you're on a television set, you never know when you're going to work, what scene you've got the next day. It's a lot of surprises. And so I don't know how he does it. 
I don't. He probably gets exceptions though, because he's Robert Downey Jr., right? I mean, he probably gets say like, "Hey, I need to do my AA meetings from ten to eleven every day." And they're like, "We'll work around that." Yeah, right, right. Because then that way they don't have to pay pay the big insurance. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. Because for a while he couldn't get hired because they couldn't insure him. Oh, is that a thing? Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. That's a big thing. That's a thing. Yeah. Oh, because oh, they'd be a higher risk. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So somebody must have taken a chance on him then at some Yeah. I think it was if I can if I remember correctly, it could have been Mel Gibson. Oh. It could have been him. Was it weren't you supposed to work was he supposed to be in uh Perfect Storm or something like yes, that? Yes. Yeah. He was. He was supposed to be in it, but I think the Patriot went on too long. Oh, okay. And so then they got George. And George had just finished Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, that's a good one. Like he finished on a Friday, flew to Massachusetts, and Monday we were shooting. Yeah. How did you learn the Boston accent for that one? Is That must have been fun to just do so that accent, right? Fun. <laughs> so fun. I love accents. They're so much fun. Me I mean, too. Yeah, right? Right. I mean, I love listening. I can't do them. I can't act, but I love listening to other people's accents. If I meet someone from Texas or New York or Boston, I'm like, Oh, are you from Boston? Well, I love <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we had, uh, we had, a a, um, um, a dialect coach, Carla Meyer or in Boston, you'd say Carla Maya, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so Carla Maya was uh, a dialect coach. And um, she was brilliant. And people learn dialogue and dialects in different ways. My father is a musician and my family are all musicians. So musicians can hear the music of it a little bit. And so a combination of my training and music, um, I love dialects and I can catch on pretty well. And if you immerse yourself, you're good. So like John Hawks and I were the only ones basically that were not stars. And so we could infiltrate ourselves into bars and hear these people talking and pretend that we were from like the town over, you know? So they're like, where are you from? We're like Essex. Oh, that's why I've never seen you before, you know? And so it's this kind of thing. It was really great. That is so cool. That must have been so fun. It was so fun. And that's, uh, that's a good point. You can, you're at that level. Like you're su- clearly a successful actress, but you're not like, you don't get mobbed. You can go out to dinner and stuff. And yeah, I, I have the best of both worlds, completely the best. I get to have the experiences and I don't have the repercussions. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you're friends with all these big stars. You're friends with James Gunn and Virginia Madsen. And all, like, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy to me. And you just said, and I knew them all for- before they were famous though. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've known really? James. I've known, well, Virginia and I went to high school together. Yeah, yeah, that one. But so James yeah. and a lot of them. James, so- I knew him. I think he was just about to start writing Scooby-Doo. I've so do him. these people, Does it? do they typically change when they get success or do they just become an exaggerated version of themselves? Like if they're really, if they're a good person before they become even a better person, like they've become more generous and things or. Good question. That's a really good question. From what I've seen with a lot of people around me, it's not that they change. It's that the people around them change. Uh, 
And the only thing that is changed, it's usually just altered, which is they're more guarded. That's Mm. about it. They're a little bit more guarded. But for the most part, it's the people around them say, you've changed because their idea of them changed, right? So they see Virginia with a bunch of fancy people at the Academy Awards and they go, oh, she's not like she was in high school. Yes, she was. Yes, she is. She's still that magical unicorn that I knew in high school, you know, and um, but but other people's idea of what they're supposed to be like, uh, they say that they've changed and they haven't really. But exaggerated. I I think there's a point to that, Chuck. I think you have a, a, a really good point there that certain things are exaggerated, like, you know, uh, James has always been about his friends. He's always been about uh, wanting his friends to have a a family. And, you know, that's what Guardians of the Galaxy is, Hmm. you know, it really is like making your family from these friends, you know, and um, he's all about that. He's always been that way. And now he's, yes, it's exaggerated now into his work, you know? Right. Yeah. Whereas like, I could see like some people that were maybe narcissistic or kind of assholes and then they get success. Then they become a bigger narcissist and a bigger asshole. Like you see that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, I've got to be honest, there's very few people I've run into that are assholes. And strangely enough, the, the, the movie star movie stars that I've worked with, are usually the most grounded and intelligent people I know that are on the set. Um, you know, the George Clooney's, the Charlize Theron's, they're intelligent, grounding, grounded people. Fabulous. You know, they're happy, right? You know, look, uh, is everybody, I mean, we all have bouts of happiness and unhappiness, right? Sure. Um, for the most part, yes. Happy. Um, uh, uh, hardworking. Um, yeah, for the most part, happy. I think the ones that are not happy are the ones that you were just talking about, the narcissistic asshole. Yeah. And there's no, a couple of them, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I know. Since I've started this podcast, I have like 270 episodes and I've had like, I mean, I've had a lot of, I've had some pretty big names and I've had some smaller names, but I mean, like when I had David Duchovny on, that was weird because I, you can tell why he's such a big, he's so likable. And, and I think I had, like I said, 270 people. Nobody ever asks me like, questions. He, David Duchovny was like, Hey, what's that on your wall? He was asking me all these questions. Yeah. I was like, wait, you're curious about me. Like you're the big star. Like what this is, it was interesting. It was like, really, I was like, oh, I could see why he's so popular. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But most actors worth their salt are curious human beings. You know, that's why we go into what we go into. Right. I heard you say that you, you're, yeah. you're really fascinated by human behavior. I am too. I, I have my degrees in psychology. Like, Oh, I love, really? Yeah. I love psychology. I love reading books about psychology, self-help, all that stuff is like uh, human behavior is fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and social psychology is this new thing that I've been looking at too. Like, I'm like, should I go back to school to become a social psychologist? You know, but in, in a way you're using your, your, you know, diploma to do this, right? I think so a little bit. Yeah. The, like listening and uh, the counseling skills. I try not to counsel my guests too much, but sometimes I do. Sometimes they break down and then I got to go into counselor mode. So what do you do? What, ha- what has happened? Like what's happened a few times when they've done that? I'm trying to remember. I know it's happened a couple of times, but yeah, somebody will, um, 
you know, sometimes they'll just be talking about something. Yeah, they'll just they'll break down and just cry, and I'll just kind of console them and go into counselor mode. And I mean, it's pretty rare, but it's happened a few do you times. Change the subject, or do you go deeper? What do you do? I just try to reflect back and uh, and just talk about it. Yeah, I, I I don't try to go too. I don't try to push it. I you know yeah. I just try to read them. If they want to talk about it, I let them talk about it because usually that's pretty interesting stuff. But I don't want to be too pushy. Cause right. I've, I've done, I've tried to go that route when I first started and I had a guy on and I, and I knew his backstory was really fascinating to me and he'd been through drugs and all this stuff. And I was trying to bring that up and I don't think he wanted to talk about it. And so that was like, Ooh. then I felt really bad and that was on me. That was my mistake, but. Well, you learned from it, didn't you? I did. I did learn <laughs> from that. Yes. I, I learned. Um, I actually had a guy who's a journalist and, uh, and he said something really, I don't know if you know Torre. He was like, he 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 was the one that broke the story about um, R. Kelly and stuff. But anyways, oh yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. He wrote a book about Prince, and I had him on the show, and he he gave me good advice. He's like, you know, you just need to listen to your guests. I was like, oh, that's I, you know, I was a counselor, like I I should know that, and uh, that was really good advice. So were you you so you did actually use your diploma to be a counselor? Oh yeah, I was a, I was a school counselor for seventeen years. Yeah. Holy crap! High yeah. school, middle school, what? both, both. Yeah. Dude, dude, that's heavy. It, yeah, but a lot of it. The problem was like I didn't get to use my degree. It was a lot of paperwork and a lot of like changing schedules. And I wanted to do the the counseling, but yeah, I feel like at least with this this show, I can have sometimes have like really deep. I mean, that's my goal is have like really deep philosophical. Conversation. I love hearing stories like, you know, success stories, like how people get to the part, you know, their origin stories, like how they become what they become, like how you grew up and you wanted to be an actress since you're a little kid. And then, you know, you get this break from Henry Winkler. I love that kind of stuff. And like hearing how it all works out for you. Like, I hope that happens to me someday. I hope I can tell that story. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it is an amazing thing. I was just talking to uh, someone that I mentor and we were just talking about, you know, she's going uh, away to Copenhagen for for like her uh, a semester. And she was like, any advice? What's good going? I you stay open, stay open to everything. She's like, I want to have all the stories that you have. And I said, it's because you got to stay open, you know, and it's and it's that whole I think it's so great that you're you get to stay open to learn about other people's stories I think it can, it, it informs your life in a way, right? Yeah, you know? no, for sure. I, I learned, so I try to take it all in and try to learn. I'm like, how do these people do this? Like when I have a David Duchovny on, I'm like, how did he do this? Like, how did he become? And I think for, for some of it, it's just like, they're naturally born with this like talent. I mean, yes, they work really hard too. And there's a lot of those stories where people didn't have necessarily the most talent, but they just worked really hard or they, they put themselves in the right situation. Like, uh, I don't know if you're a country music fan, but I had Jason Aldean's drummer on. And that was really interesting just because he told me he played in Nashville and he played with a bunch of different bands, different styles of music, like reggae and rock. And, and then he just found Jason Aldean and he's like, I'm going to hitch my wagon to this guy. And then, I mean, he's, he's like set for life basically being Jason Aldean's drummer. That's awesome. And then he gets to do what he loves to do. Yeah. And he said a lot of people in Nashville that he was uh, going up with that were, you know, the same time playing music. They were better musicians than him, but they quit. They had a family or they did this and, and he just kept going and it paid off. I'm like, Oh, that is so inspiring to me. Yeah. There's a lot of those stories, you know, and that's why I say, keep chopping the wood and don't look at the pile. After a while, when you look at the pile, you're like, 
there's not enough or there's not, you know, and if you don't look at that, you just are open and you, you have these experiences. The next thing you know, you're on a podcast with someone 35 years later and saying, hey, these are the stories. I had. But you, you, know? must, you must have had slumps, right? Like, how did you like for me oh, right now? I, I cannot get a guess. I don't know. Like when your uh, publicist emailed me, I was like, oh, yes, please. I, I knew your name. I knew the uh, some of the roles that you did. I was like so excited. But how do you deal with that rejection? Like 134 credits. How many times you must have like at least double that that where you didn't get the role, right? Uh, more than double. Uh, if, if you really take a look at the odds, uh, maybe one out of 100 auditions that you have, maybe if you're lucky. Really? That many? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh no, it's back breaking work. <laughs> it is working on a set for 16 hours to me is a vacation. <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah. It's no, like I, going to summer camp, you know? Yeah. Like I was just uh, in South Carolina. I do a recurring role on the righteous gemstones Yeah. Uh, for HBO. Sheriff? And I was just playing, I play Sheriff Brenda and uh, so Sheriff Brenda uh, came down. I was there a couple weeks ago and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. You know, uh, I get to like play again. I can just hang out, you know? And, uh, I work one day and it was a 10 hour day and it seemed like it was only three hours and everybody was like 10 hours. And I was like, short day, short day. You know, it was a really short day. Cause you're yeah. doing what you love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But auditioning, holy crap. So I guess the answer to your question on that whole thing in terms of slumps is a good friend of mine, a, a great actor who you see on so many commercials. His name is Chip O'Neill. Chip said to me one time I was in one of those slumps and he said, you know, I just truly believe that the universe is just saying, if you don't have anything to work on, it's time to work on yourself. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, so I keep that in mind where I work on myself, whether it's on hobbies that I have or something that I need to do on a spiritual level or um, mentor like I do um, here in Chicago. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I do when I'm doing that. And, you know, I just took up meditation. <laughs> what kind of meditation? I, I don't know, just oh. the kind I'm doing where it's okay. like I'm just trying to breathe and stay in the moment, you know, and not worry and not have any fear or not have any of that. And a lot of times I sometimes I do it just with myself. Sometimes I put something that uh, is on YouTube where it's like it's called the mindful movement. I like this woman's voice. Hmm. I, I have a saying about people's voices. So. When there's like a girl that's like, okay, now we're going to breathe it out. I'm always like, nope, nope, next one. You know what I mean? Wow, that was cool how you just changed your voice though. I was wondering that because in Wild Honey, when it starts off and it's you doing the sex phone operator voice, I was like, that's not really your voice. I was like, that's like a, that's like a, a voiceover actress. And I was, and then I think I realized like, no, that is your voice. That's amazing. Yeah, that's me. That's me. Yeah. That was so cool. Well, I was in LA for a really long time. So <laughs> I was there for like a really long time. Like older than I'm playing right now. Yeah. That's amazing. Then you can do do you get voiceover work for that too? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. And I do like little I can do little kids and stuff too. So 
I could do that. Wait, show me a little kid voice. No, I don't want to show you. <laughs> no. Forget wow. It. How yeah. do you do? How do you learn that? Is it just a lot of practice? Are there certain techniques that you can learn that make it easier? Like I said, I was really curious as a kid, you know, in my family, we took a lot of like car trips, you know, we didn't go on the plane. So we would Mm. go in around these like towns and you would hear people and I was just fascinated by it. And so I would hear them and just imitate them. So we would like leave somewhere and there'd be some character like somewhere in Tennessee or something. They're telling you about something. And we would get back in the car and my sisters would be like, okay, go. Cause they knew I was just like watching, hearing, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of how it started. That's cool. But it is like clearly like a natural talent that you, that you have, that you can do that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, you can have these raw talents and you can have these natural talents and thank you. Um, But it's, but you still have to hone it. You still have to figure that out. Right. It's like, as it, you know, um, as, as the Jason Aldean drummer said, you know, there were people that were better than him, but he just kept working hard and he kept working hard. It's like that kind of stuff. So you kind of have to keep honing it. And I also was a singer. And so that helps too to strengthen like your range and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that's why I can do it so high, you know, uh, because of the singing, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but there was always music playing in my house as I was growing up. Always, the TV wasn't on; the music was. What kind of music? Everything. Uh, mostly ragtime and Dixieland jazz. Oh, really? Interesting. I love that old time jazz. I went to New Orleans for the first time, and we walked in, and it was like this old time. They, they were wearing like suits, and they were playing the band, and I was like, "Oh, this is so cool! I I want to go back." I was like, "Isn't it for, like, the greatest night. city? Isn't yeah. it?" I loved and- it. Oh my God. And have you ever, have you um, heard of trombone shorty? He no. comes out of new Orleans trombone shorty. He plays the whole thing with the trombones and trombones is a huge, huge thing in traditional jazz, you know? Sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, they have, they have just trombone bands and he comes out of new Orleans. You should check him out. Okay. And we went to new Orleans all the time when I was a kid because my father played that music. And so oh. he would play sometimes and we'd go to the jazz fest and, you know, it would be a family outing, you know, but he, um, uh, my father, uh, still, I don't think he does it anymore because he's 90 years old, but, uh, he played the washboard. Oh, uh, wow. and he had, you know, thimbles and stuff like that. And he didn't play it on his chest. Like so many people in Zydeco, he would put it in between his legs and play both sides, you know? Oh, that's and, so cool. Yeah, I love that so, kind of stuff. Yeah, it was cool. So I grew up with that. That's like in my head. That's like a lullaby. If I hear a ragtime or something, it's like a lullaby. You know, aren't you doing a movie um, about uh, the 1920s called You Can't Win? What? Tell me about that one. Is that coming out? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't know what happened with that. Are you not in it anymore? I'm I'm the thing is, is that we shot that. In 2013, 14. Oh, my God. Really? And then. Michael Pitt, who's the lead and brought this whole thing together. I had worked with him on another film and he wanted me to be in this film. And it's based on a, a real story about a guy named Jack Black, who was, um, he was what you call a hobo mm-hmm. he lived in the, you know, in the, in the, in the cars. And 
Uh, it's basically the story of him and how he went over all through the West, the Northwest. And um, I played a woman that actually existed named Salt Chunk Mary. And yeah. uh, there was actually an opera written about her. I found this out, which is really odd. Huh. Um, and he said, my dream is to then wait a few years and then we film again. And we're actually that many years later. Okay. And we tried kind to of like boyhood. This. Yes. Like boyhood. Exactly. But I haven't heard anything. I don't know if it's going to be happening or not, um, but I'm up for it. If he's doing it. It's got a pretty good is. cast, right? Yeah. It's pretty cool. I mean, uh, Jeremy Allen White, who the bear and, and, um, uh, Shameless was in it also. Mm. And um, I mean, Michael Pitt is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. He's just his own being. It, to me, he's like an alien that dropped down into the into the world. Wow. Um, and lovely, lovely, sweet soul. Yeah. Didn't um, you say um, now you worked with Anthony Hopkins and th this this was interesting. I didn't know this. You said he was a goofball. And he was like impersonating oh, people. That is interesting. Said, I thought yeah, he was so he's serious. One of the greatest impersonators. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. How come he's never done like Saturday Night Live or something then? Or has he? I don't, I, I don't think he's that guy. Like I didn't really talk to him. I just watched him on the set. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I didn't really talk to him. I, uh, Pete Postlethwaite, I was talking, Stellan Skarsgård, Morgan Freeman, those guys I was talking to more than I did Anthony Hopkins. And, and uh, Matthew McConaughey, uh, oh, no, I worked with him later after that. So I never really talked to him either um, until we did Ed TV, like two years later, I think. Um, but uh, uh, just watching him on the set, I was in the, you know, I was in the, the stands, you know, I was in the gallery mm. and he was just cutting up and it was mm. wild. It was wild. Yeah. That's um, interesting. Well, like most British actors, I'm I'm a shameless anglophile because the british actors do it like it's a, just a good day of work so they don't take themselves too seriously they just take the work seriously but not themselves mm. and so there they are doing their thing and they're like you know la, 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 telling a joke and they're like and action you know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> my favorite because they did all that work beforehand in their uh. hotel room at their home you know what i mean and uh, then they're like they do like a method acting where they uh, really do you ever do you ever really get into a character like that where you do like a method thing like like Jim Carrey and Man on the Moon like he he was Andy Kaufman for yes. like three months. Yeah, I, and that's not my style. That's not my style. Uh, I think uh, I think it takes either a masochist or a really strong human being to do that all the time. I don't mm -hmm. know which one is which. Um, I am, I don't know if I'm either, I don't know if I'm strong enough and I'm certainly not a masochist. So, uh, for my own mental health, I need to have some relief if I'm going to go that deep. Cause I'll go deep, yeah. you know, but I'll use to go deep. I use different, lots of people do different tools. I use music. Um, you know how certain music could get you in a, in a, in a, in a mood, right? Right. Like think of the music you want to play. If you're, if you're not feeling great and you want to get out of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. No, that's true. I love music. I've had a lot of musicians on the show and I can't play music. I can't sing a tune, but I love listening to it. Besides guns and roses. Who are your people? 
Oh my, I mean, I love hair metal. I've had a lot of hair metal people on the show. I love that stuff, but I also love like, uh, I mean, I love like Elliot Smith. I don't know if you know from. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I love old jazz. I love blues. I, I mean, I like the only thing, I mean, I like most styles of music. Uh, I mean, I love live music. Like I love going to see people perform like in Nashville and Austin and they do more than just country and stuff there. I mean, just oh, yeah. like, like I said, the jazz in new Orleans, I mean, that was just, I was, I could have watched that for hours. It was amazing. Cool. Right. Yeah. It's so cool. Exactly. What about you? What's your favorite? Funk. <laughs> I like funk. Funk is my jam. I don't know what it is. It's I haven't seen playing. a lot of funk live, but yeah, that would be fun uh, to see like bass playing and stuff. Oh yeah. 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 So that's, 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 that's my jam. That's like that's uh, George jam. parliament. Oh my God. Of course. You know, George Clinton parliament, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's um, what George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that kind of stuff. Okay. And then out of New Orleans is a band called The Meters, which were uh, a lot of the Neville brothers. And check out The Meters. You'll deal, you'll love them. M E T E R S. Yeah, I got some homework to do when I uh, when I watch this back, I'll write this stuff down and uh, check it out. Very <laughs> yeah. cool. Well, yeah. this has been amazing. You've got some amazing stories. And look, I didn't even ask you about Jason Goes to Hell. So, uh, because there's enough interviews with you at you talking like there's inter there's entire interviews with you talking about Jason goes to hell. I don't. That's the, the, those are the one thing that they want to interview me about, and I'm always like, okay, and I am done with that. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm it's cool, but it's like, you have yeah. 134 credits. Like that's not the top of my list personally, but it is cool that you got to. That was a fun one too. I'm sure. So. Well, I'm, I mean, I did that for Virginia and our other friend Gene because that's what we did in high school. We love that stuff. So I did yeah. that for them. Yeah. That's very cool. I love horror movies too. So very cool. Um, I always end each episode promoting a charity. Is there a charity that that you're that's near and dear to your heart? Or absolutely. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. Thank you so much for that. Um, every year, this is my jam is United Negro College Fund, UNCF. That's, that's my jam, my jam. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's still, yeah. that's still around. I remember seeing the commercials in the eighties when I was a kid. Right. Right. And it's still around and still very much needed. Oh, very definitely. Yeah. Yeah. For, I our, love that. for our country to, to really be truly representative of what our world is getting back to the beginning. Look at that. Huh? Getting back to the thing is, is that it's, it, it, we need to show uh, the rest of the world what our country really, truly is about. And I think that with UNCF, they're making sure that people are getting proper education to then uh, pay it forward. Absolutely. No, that's a beautiful thing. I love it. I'll put that in the show notes along. Do you have a website? I can't remember. Or I know you have Instagram. I have, oh, I do. I have an Instagram. Is that the best uh, way for people to follow you or uh, yeah. Facebook or Twitter? What do you, what do you prefer? Just Instagram. Okay. I mean, and, and, and it's uh, at Rusty Schwim. Okay. Yeah. I'll put that in the notes too then. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Thank you so much, Chuck. You're adorable. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. Right. See you. Bye. Bye. My thanks again to Rusty Schwimmer. Love her stories. Love her work as an actress. I love this conversation. I love her. So what a great human being. Make sure to check out her work in Scrooge and Marley and also check out her as a lead in Wild Honey. I really enjoyed that one. Or watch any of her other 134 different movies or TV shows that she's been in. What a great career. Uh, make sure to follow her on Instagram to support her. And follow me and the show on there too if you want to support us. Uh, your likes, comments, and shares on YouTube and social media are always appreciated. 
Have a great rest of your day and shoot for the moon.